Welcome back to another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom Pod. Chris, I know the all the NBA drama has been going on, but it's finally good to talk football with you again. Thank you for joining the pod. Always happy to be here. Always happy to talk basketball, but uh, you know, I'm at heart, love talking football. So yeah, we've been pumping out a lot of episodes with the whole NBA playoffs and a lot of shenanigans there. But quietly, this was an NFL draft that I always love doing these in the pod. There's a lot to talk about with all 32 of these teams. The surprise picks, the stunning moves, all that sort of stuff. First question for you is kind of what was uh, some of the big takeaways from you from this past NFL draft? So from this past draft, you know, a, a big deal for me at least as a Dolphins fan was the fact that I really kind of just could sit back and relax uh, for the first round. So it was really nice not having a pick, trading it for Tyreek Hill, but th- that worked out. And overall, I think um, I think there was a narrative this year that this draft class, in a sense, was, like, weaker than some of the past ones. Um, and I guess there's some truth to that in terms of, like, the quarterback class wasn't as deep. But in general, I think there's some solid players uh, that got picked off boards uh, this draft. And I think, yeah, there's there's guys that are going to make some big impacts, and there's probably some guys in the later rounds that are going to show up, too. So I think overall it was a good, uh, good draft. I think a lot of teams got a lot better, and I think some teams made some questionable choices as in every draft, but uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Well, you put it in a good framework because I think there's a duality of this draft where I totally agree. There wasn't a consensus number one, and you combine that with the QBs kind of seeming lackluster. Like, at best, a QB was going to go mid-first round. At the absolute reach, it would be a mid-first rounder. And we only had three kind of, like, main headline quarterbacks for this NFL draft. But at the same time, though, it was entertaining because we saw the Eagles trade their pick for a guy I like in A.J. Brown. We saw... A total surprise pick by the Jaguars in number one. Saw the rest of the draft play out kind of normally, but there was still some surprise there. Teams with multiple picks, like the Jets with four and ten. Seahawks had a couple first-rounders there. Ravens, like, there was a lot to kind of unpack for this draft. And more importantly, that we definitely did not know how this would play out compared to previous drafts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think... What you said is exactly true. This draft was an interesting one in the sense that uh, the, there was no consensus top 10 at all. Like uh, anybody could go anywhere. So it was really interesting and really dramatic to see that play out on draft night, especially with the Jaguars kind of. It, it looked like it was between Hutchinson and Thibodeau the whole time, and the Jaguars kind of pulled out a wild card there. So, uh, yeah, just definitely an interesting draft. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of potential. Uh, in those first couple picks and just the draft as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, definitely some winners, definitely some losers. Uh, I think the Jets, personally, did did a really good job. They had a lot of... I never uh, thought you'd say that ever on a pod, for the record, that the Jets did a great job. Yeah, it's tough to say, but I really do think they did a good job. Yeah, I mean, you you think about their situation. Like, they had the 4th and 10th pick. They take... Uh, Ahmad Gardner, fourth overall, which is an awesome uh, cornerback there. They kind of needed more of that boost on defense. Then they take the Ohio State receiver at 10, which is a pretty solid move. I think people, similar to a lot of guys in this draft, like it's funny because with this draft, there's a lot of picks that were read as like, oh, he was picked 28th, but he easily had top 10 potential. Or this guy was number 12, but he could have been top five. But the Jets played their cards right. I think that division in the NFL gets a lot more interesting when you have this Jets young core building up. The Dolphins are going all in, it seems like, with the Tyreek Hill move. The Bills are going to be there, of course. And you still have the Patriots at kind of the right above 500 level. I think in the long term, this division is going to be one of the more competitive ones that I honestly don't think people will see 
as competitive until we get to the actual regular season. Right. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I think the AFC East has been kind of, you know, uh, heading uphill for for a while now. Uh, for at least the past couple of years, I think the Dolphins have been getting better. I think the Bills have been showing that they've been getting better and actually developing players. Um, and no, yeah, the Jets, I mean, they've always really been the laughing stock for the past couple of years. But but they, they made some strides uh, in this draft, you know, getting Sauce Gardner, getting Garrett Wilson, and then ultimately getting Jermaine Johnson, former Noel. So, yeah, no, they, they did a good job. A lot of Jets fans, though, I, I have to say, are getting a little, um, however, they're kind of over-exaggerating the draft. You know, I think they definitely made some moves. They made a solid start, but I don't see the Jets being competitive, competitive this year. I don't see them being ultra-competitive. I see them being way better than last season, but I I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you how many games specifically, but I don't see them being a massive contender, making this massive jump. Um, but I, I do see them getting better, and that's the first step in a rebuild always. So uh, it's good to see for them. I mean, not as a Dolphins fan, but it's good for them. I'm sure I'm, I'm happy for my friends that are Jets fans. It looks like uh, they've got some solid players out of the draft, and I'm excited. The front office seems like they know what they're doing now, so hopefully they keep trending in that direction. Well, and if you're a Jets fan, you got to be happy with how the draft played out. They had seven draft picks, but the key number – all of them were in the, the, the fourth round or above. Three of which, by the way, were in the top 26 and all through trades over the years. But they did the two things I think we thought they needed to improve on, which is Zach Wilson's their young QB, get some weapons around him. They got a running back in the second or third round. They got that wide receiver number 10, but then shore up the defense. They kind of somehow with the team, like it's not as easy as like basketball where it's like a 13 to 15 man roster. You have like, you know, the 50 something guys it's hard to build the core, but I do think the Jets put off the core here. I will say, I have a question about the Dolphins here because we didn't really talk about this move all that much, and I think it's critical to the outlook of this coming season because definitely the over-unders will be a little bit weird. What was your grade and your thoughts on the Tyree Kill move for the Dolphins? I'm, I kind of have mixed results, not going to lie. I'll tell you, I think that Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel both uh, did an excellent job doing their homework on, on not only on this draft, but on Tyree Kill himself. I think they saw with the way that the Rams, you know, they just won the Super Bowl, the way that they constructed their team was not really through the draft, right? They, they traded a lot of picks. And I think that the, the Dolphins realized that sometimes uh, that might be the way to go. And I think that they made the right decision this time. I think with, with the pick, as far as it was in the first round this year, I, I believe it was 29, trading that away. I think they were more than happy, uh, you know, to, uh, putting that aside and, and, and moving that in a piece of tire field. Not only that, next season, let's say, you know, this doesn't go to plan with Tua, they still have two first-round picks in the draft next season. So parting ways with this first-round pick, to me, really, I, I, I didn't care too much. I know Chris Greer was saying, like, he, he got asked, oh, you know, what are you guys even going to be doing in the war room on day one of the draft, he was like, I don't know, we might just put on some Tyreek Hill highlights and just watch like, and not do anything. And I'm sure that's what they did because, you know, they, they ended up not moving back his first round. But I think it was a good choice. I think uh, this team, without a doubt, is the fastest team in football right now. They have Jalen Waddle, who had a you know, all-time rookie season with receptions. He broke the record as a rookie. And I think now adding Tyreek Hill, adding Raheem Mostert, adding Chase Edmonds, this is the fastest team uh, in football, they they pretty much got a track team on offense, 
And I think this is, you know, a lot of people have been saying it. I think two has gotten healthier. We've seen that in, you know, videos of his practices. He's, his mobility's back. And, um, yeah, I think that this is this is the year for him, for him to turn it around. He hasn't been bad, is what I'll say. He, two as a quarterback has not been bad. Um, but he certainly hasn't been playing to the potential that I'm sure the Dolphins wanted him to be at. I think this is the year that they turn it around. I know I say that every year, but they've legitimately made moves uh, to give him a real supporting cast around him. You know, it's not just Devontae Parker and Gesicki this time. It's Tyreek Hill, who is a top three, and you can slot him in any of those numbers, really. Top three receiver in the league. You have Jalen Waddle, who made significant strides in his rookie year. Um, and an actual running back core that we haven't seen them have in maybe 15 years. And they really put two in a position to succeed. Uh, sorry, position to succeed. Uh, and I personally think he will. This was a 10-win football game, football team two years ago, a nine-win football team last year. They kept the defensive staff, and I think they're looking really good. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, like the whole point with the L.A. Rams, because in the NFL, this wasn't traditionally how teams are built. We've seen this ages ago, how it was always through the draft. And I think gradually, because I did this on a pod a couple of weeks ago with another guy where he brought up the good point that I think we're now seeing NBA free agency player empowerment go now to the NFL. It started off with QBs. I think with the Tyreek Hill move, it kind of translated now to the running back wide receiver and probably tight end kind of offensive core. And I bring it up because the Dolphins are in that unique spot where they're kind of like in the middleman zone. They're too good to kind of tank and pull the Jaguars, Jets, Texans, go two and 15 on the year, get a top three pick. But they're also not in the, you know, Bills, Chiefs, Rams title contention mode. And the question is, do you keep the course and build through the draft or do you expedite the process at risk of uh, more of a benefit in the short term, but at greater risk of the long term? And we saw the Dolphins. We know the lane they're picking. They said, we think two is that guy. Let's not go crazy. Let's build and collect enough assets to trade for Tyreek Hill to get some veterans on the roster. And the reason I bring this up, this ties into a third team we haven't brought up, the Tennessee Titans, where they saw the opposite in this draft. They were like, we're going to tr- we're gonna acquire that first rounder and a third rounder, but give up the star receiver and kind of reset there instead of pushing forward to kind of up themselves in the contention. That framework, kind of like the NBA kind of, moving into more of that uh the nfl moving into more of that nba free agency policy and kind of like the way things are operating it's a total different ball game in the nfl now than it was even five years ago 100 percent uh and i think the rams really made that uh made that clear that that that, that's a solid way to build a championship team and i think you're you're right on how the titans handled it too i mean it's it's a league it is a copycat league in every sense of the word which like, like stealing plays stealing scheme but also stealing strategy uh, I think, you know, that's what Greer did with the Dolphins, but there's still teams that are building through the draft. I mean, the Dolphins right now, their core players, you know, besides the Tyree Kills trade, besides the Toronto Armstead signing before that, was really all built through the draft. Miles Gaskin, drafted by the Dolphins. Parker was a Dolphins draft. Nick Kosicki, Tua, uh, Waddle. Uh, and those are all Dolphins drafted players. So, I mean, a good com- now they really got this good combination of building through the draft. You know, beforehand, now they've got Tyreek Hill, uh, Toronto Homestead building through free agency through the offseason uh, trade. So, yeah, I think uh, it's a good mix of both philosophies. And uh, I think they realize that, you know, the time, what you said, they're not in that position where they could really rebuild entirely and just blow it all up. But they're not, they weren't necessarily in that contender conversation. So, what did they do? They went out and signed Toronto Armstead to build up the line. 
and they traded for Tyree Kill to hopefully, you know, get into that contender conversation. Transitioning back to the draft here, so an interesting corollary I came up with, and I call it the Dante DiVincenzo corollary. The idea that if you're on a college team and you aren't, you're in a certain draft position, as you end up being successful, whether it's the March Madness tournament or the college football playoff, your stock rises dramatically. When the Jaguars took Trevon Walker, I thought this was an instant DiVincenzo corollary, where do you think if Georgia doesn't win the title, the outcome of that first round pick is different than what it ended up being because i do think there's a little bit of that here i think we saw that with a lot of the draft picks out of georgia um uh, this year and i i do think there is something to that i think uh your ability to be you know to win championships to, to find success you know whether it's in high school college or uh, the pros i think that says a lot about who you are as a player and i think I'm not came down to that decision, but I definitely do think that him being on a championship team uh, said something a lot about his value to to the Jaguars. So, yeah, I, I would say there is definitely something to that, something to um, being on a championship championship team, showing that you are a winner. Uh, yeah, certainly something to that conversation. So moving on to the next pick is that I, after these kind of top five, I want to break down more of the team-based stuff. But Aiden Hutchinson went to Detroit. It sounded like an obvious fit because, you know, you're in Michigan, keep the hometown kid. But he had a lot of up and down. Like, it was more of the, like, with the Michigan kind of brand, you're going to get elevated to a higher status compared to the average school. It's just a fact. But he also showed lots of potential, but there was fluctuation with him. Some people had him one. Some people he was in the top three. Some he was out of the top five. What is your kind of thought on Hutchinson with the second pick going to Detroit so personally like the way I had it structured in my head was and if you talk to anybody they'd probably give you a different answer uh really I had it as I thought Hutchinson was going to go one I thought Thibodeau was going to go two and I thought uh Walker's going to go three um I thought Hutchinson you know he's him and Thibodeau both have incredible motors I I, I think Thibodeau has like the build to be just an, an incredible athlete, an incredible player in the league. I think that this is a really good landing spot for Hutchinson. Um, you know, the Lions have been struggling, obviously, as all these teams really in the top 10 have been. Uh, but I think he's an incredible athlete uh, that, that screams off of his, you know, combine numbers and stats in college. I think him coming out of Michigan, you know, known for producing insane amounts of professional athletes uh, when it comes to football, insane amounts of successful athletes when it comes to football. I think staying in Michigan, um, I think it's a great it's a great fit for him, not only scheme wise, but you know, uh, success wise in general. I think this is a great spot for him. So there are two more kind of draft narratives I want to go over before we move on to the winners and losers. The first one that stood out to me this is an easy one. We saw this with the Chiefs two years ago in the Super Bowl. You see it this year with the Bengals. Three offensive tackles taken in the top ten. Have have those recent historical examples been the result of what we're seeing in this draft where it seems like now offensive tackles and protecting the quarterback and that whole narrative has been built up now because of what we've seen with some of these kind of contenders that end up just short? Right. Uh, I, I 100% um, believe that that's the case. And I also do think that it, it comes with um, the investment that you're making in your quarterback. Right. We saw it uh, not this season, but the one before. 
you know, the Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow went down for a really long time. He, he suffered a really bad knee injury. Um, you know, they end up picking Jamar Chase last year's draft and they ended up going to the Super Bowl. But ultimately, uh, te- that scares a lot of teams, right? So when you have an investment at quarterback, you need to really protect that investment. And I think that goes a long way in uh, in the draft rooms and, and deciding, you know, who you're going to you're gonna pay to protect your franchise, your franchise guy. And that's the quarterback. Well, and the, one, the one thing we saw real quick is that I think we saw – the rise of offensive tackle stock and a decline in wide receiver. I think wide receiver was the big loser this year because we knew quarterback-wise it wasn't a big market this year. And an underrated narrative, by the way, is that teams already had QBs established, whether they were young guys from the last two or three years, franchise guys like Mahomes, Kyler Murray that showed up early, or even, you know, like the Colts trading for Matt Ryan and those sorts of scenarios. Wide receiver, I think, is that position in the NFL now where – Unless you have like a very, very top five to seven guy, it's the most easy position to fill out on an, on an NFL roster right now, besides maybe kicker and punter. Because there's so many available. Like, there's a lot of guys with that framework and the speed and the size. I think we definitely saw this draft too. That I think people teams put a lot less value on the wide receiver position more than ever. Uh, 100% that's the case. Um, there, there's, it's what you said. There's so many receivers available like not through the draft. There's so many guys that are at like five and four and five spots on teams that can make the jump to twos and threes. So I, I think that um, in this draft, you know, O-line stock went up because teams realize teams are starting to realize that you need to, you do need to protect that investment uh, in your quarterback. And I think that they, they are, you know, the, the drop-offs in receiver isn't as wide as the drop-off in talent when it comes to offensive line. And I think that drop-off is so wide for some players that it can determine, you know, the rest of your season. That offensive lineman is, like, your quarterback's health, your running back's health is in the hands of your O-line, really. that, that That's how it is, and that's on every single play. I think that drop-off in talent matters way more than the drop-off in talent in the receiver. Uh, because I think that those three, those three and four receivers can go up to one and two. The four and five can go up to you know, uh, two and three. But I think your your start there's a massive drop off from your starting alignment to your backup alignment, right? So I think that that's what, where that comes into play in that conversation. Well, we as Dolphins fans know that when you have a horrible offensive line, it nothing goes well. So I mean that that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So the last narrative I want to touch on, and this this ties into some of the losers I think in this draft. I think people forgot how horribly bad this quarterback market was in the draft this year. But Kenny Pickett goes first at the end of the first round to the Steelers. We see the Georgia QB go kind of like many picks later. And then Malik Willis goes to the Titans. First off, are you surprised with how those three QBs ended up going in the draft? And number two, what do you make of Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill on the roster, former Dolphin himself, with that decision now to take Malik Willis in the third round, trade up for him and acquire him in the draft. Right, so I think uh, what Tennessee sees is the fact that they have a lot of talent on their offense. Um, and it's, it's a great, uh, you hear this a lot in football with a quarterback, like, are you winning because of the quarterback or can you win with this quarterback? And I think the conversation with Tannehill became, can you win with Tannehill? And overall in the playoffs, we saw them, you know, they had the potential to go far, but they never quite made it to the Super Bowl with Tannehill. I think that they had all the talent in the world a lot of times on that offense, but he a lot of times was pulling them back. 
And I think now, uh, who knows if they move on this season or the next season, but they made an investment in Malik Willis, uh, a player that showed out in his pro day. I mean, can throw the ball so far. Uh, I mean, accuracy seems to be, you know, pretty good right now. And he's got the speed, right? He's got the speed. So I think that I, I was surprised to see him fall as far as he did. Um, I thought he would have been picked sooner. Personally, I thought the Steelers were going to pick him um, and, and didn't. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think that's where that conversation shifted for Tennessee. I think it is a good spot for him. I think, dude, like having him and Derrick Henry on the same team seems pretty unfair from a running game aspect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a great spot for him. Uh, Kenny Pickett, you know, I think is a great player and I think he, he's going to do, do well. There, there's just been a lot of questions with like, like, I know people are talking about his hand size and all that stuff, man. Like I, I, I think if you're a good ball player, you're a good ball player. Right? And I think that, that that's how it works in almost every, uh, in, in every sport is, is how I see it. If you can win games, you can win games. And I think, uh, Kenny Pickett's going to be able to do that for Pittsburgh. A lot of my friends that are Steelers fans are super happy with this pick. Um, I think there's a lot of upside there. But, yeah, no, I, I think that the quarterbacks that were picked this year, uh, at least the high-ranking ones, went to good spots, went to spots that are going to get the most out of them. I will say, I echo that resentment. I thought that the Steelers were, A, going to take Malik Willis. And number two, seeing him play live, because Liberty played Syracuse this year, like in, here at home in the Syracuse Dome, I really thought Malik Willis was going to be the first QB off the board. I'm surprised even that he went behind the Georgia QB when I feel like the Georgia QB is like your ultimate low floor, low ceiling QB where I don't really know where the upside is. Like if you're a team in that range, I don't know why you didn't shoot for the moon there for the more athletic. If he's a bust, fine, but you take that in the third round or second round any day of the week. The other thing too I've noticed, at least with the framework, was – the Kenny Pickett-Malik Willis conversation was very interesting because they're both two different players. Like, Kenny Pickett was a clear winner at Pittsburgh, but there were questions with the size of his body, the NFL mold of a QB. And Malik Willis was the ultimate, you know, Anthony Bennett type where, well, I, I wouldn't call it Anthony Bennett, maybe like Victor Oladipo where, you know, he comes in with all the upside in the world, but at the same time, he could just be your average Joe on a roster. I feel like that's what people I think worry with Malik Willis is that there's a very very high floor, but the the uh, or a very very high ceiling, but the floor might just be the basement. Right, I I agree with that 100. percent But I, I still like with the 86 pick. I think that the Titans a plus uh, in that regard, in the sense like this is a you're essentially buying pretty low at that point of the draft. I think you take the chance. You're like you got the pure athlete. Like he's what you said he's got an incredibly high ceiling maybe the floor is pretty low but you know it's worth taking a chance at that point in the draft especially when you you do have like you don't necessarily have the amount of holes as you know a bottom feeder team would have just go for it you know I will say the A you're giving them for this move is going to balance out the D you're probably going to give for the AJ Brown trade because I don't think you were totally agreeing with that (laughs) I would not know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to winners here. Who are some big winners for you for the draft? Yeah, we we'll go one, we can go one at a time if you want. Yeah, yeah, we already mentioned that the Jets are, uh, I think, my biggest winner of the draft. I think they made three amazing choices that are really going to benefit them long term. Um, personally, I, I don't think that outweighs the harm that Zach Wilson does to them because I genuinely 
Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it with him. I think he's got a cannon, uh, but I don't think he knows where to place that cannon necessarily. Uh, I think he's done a lot of balls to the other team, let me just say that, uh, last season. So I, I, I don't see it personally with him, but I, I think that they do have enough weapons around him to have him you know, have a pretty good season. So we'll see how that goes this year. Again, like me not seeing it with him right now, uh, same way a lot of people didn't see it with Josh Allen in his first uh, two years in the league. Yeah, there's always time to change. Um, there's first year, never judge a quarterback on his first year, you know. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I didn't really like Zach Wilson last year, but again, rookie season, uh, a lot of pressures that come with that. So I think the Jets definitely won, um, and I think the Ravens won also. I think Kyle Hamilton, they knocked it out of the park with that pick. Um, I think arguably could have gone sooner. But, man, with the Ravens, who are known for developing really good safeties, I think this is an excellent landing spot for him. I think this might be the best fit of the draft as a whole. Uh, I think out of Notre Dame, great tape, really. I mean, I saw him in person when they played uh, FSU at Doak, and he was – that guy's the real deal. So we'll see how that works for them. I think it's a great pick. So yeah, I think the Ravens definitely won as well. Ravens are another winner for me. If you look at their draft, two picks in the top 25, they do the classic Ravens thing where almost every single draft pick, in fact, all of their first six picks were either offensive tackles to shore up the offensive line or a bunch of defensive players. And that's exactly what they did. They took a safety, a linebacker, a def- and a defensive tackle with three of their first four picks. And then, added two offensive linemen and another cornerback. The Ravens do what they do best. They love to develop players. They're kind of like the Miami Heat, I would say, in finding guys in the middle of that kind of like undrafted, or in this case, kind of like mid-fourth round, end of third round range. And they always turn up well with the, that, those sorts of prospects. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree when it comes to them. And I, I think personally, I think the Chiefs did a really good job too. This is a team that you don't necessarily look at when it comes to um, – you know, needs, massive needs right now. I mean, they just got rid of Tyree Kill, but you, you, the Chiefs have never been a team that you look at, besides like maybe one position on the offensive line. Uh, I've never been a team that stands out in terms of like, oh my God, this is what they really need this year. But they did a really good job of balancing like draft value and their positioning, but also like what, what their needs are in the draft. I think um, Trey McDuffie and uh, Karlaftis are two guys that are ready to go right now and i think you can't replace tyree kill really that's not a thing you're going to do in the draft uh, at least in this one but they, they made a a good step in that direction when they drafted more so i do think that they did a really good job too balancing out that need with you know value in the draft so i think they're in a good spot too it's the chiefs they're always really in a good spot but i think they did a good job this year so the Chiefs are interesting for me. I agree with you. I think they did fit their draft need. Their biggest one was shoring up the defense. If you look at it, they took one, two, four, five of the first top six picks that they had were all defensive people across the board. And then they took uh, Sky Moore with their second overall pick. My question, though, is that this is a new era that we haven't seen yet with Patrick Mahomes, which is without Tyreek Hill. The, what made them so dangerous before was that you had the Mahomes kind of run-pass option game. You had Tyree Kill, who was kind of the speedy wide receiver running back that fits so well. And then Travis Kelsey was like your big, yet somehow mobile tight end. Is it, Are the Chiefs going to shoot themselves in the foot here by not shoring up more of that wide receiver core moving forward? Because the, their other weakness, by the way, was the run game. Like, we knew that their run game was atrocious, and it was kind of like third down and 14, we got to have Mahomes do something crazy. 
does that sort of element get lost though now that they kind of really didn't fix that position because they more just kind of like put a band-aid on it and save it for later so i definitely agree that that's the best way to put it they put a band-aid on it i think what you said is 100 percent accurate you know this is a new era the chiefs where usually that lack of run game was mitigated by the fact that they had tyree kill as an option there um and i think that's definitely something to keep an eye on this season i think you can never really count out andy Reid offense in terms of play design but i do think that yeah that's definitely something to keep an eye on for the rest of the season um and, and see what moves we'll see what moves they make uh you know before september before august right because 100 percent, this is going to be a chiefs team like we've never seen before and whether that's good or bad is yet to be seen um but yeah it definitely the argument a lot of arguments for it did patrick mahomes make tyree kill tyree kill or did tyree kill make mahomes mahomes right so i think we're going to definitely see that play out this season i do think what you said is true, though. I think they put a Band-Aid on it, and they're willing to see how that plays out. But I definitely agree with the fact that Tyreek Hill was a big, um, you know, put up a cover for the fact that they don't have that good of a run game. I will say another winner on my end I think we got to talk about. It's been 30 minutes, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned The New York Giants, they didn't mess anything up, number one. I do think they won the draft on two fronts, though, or at least were a big winner for a couple reasons. They saw the quarterback market in the draft, and they knew we're not going to trade any of the two firsts, nor the second, the two-thirds, their two-fourths, or their, what was it, four, I think three fifth-rounders that they had in the end. And instead, they were like, we're going to draft for need and for fit. They took two guys in the top seven that I think everyone loves, which is the Thibodeau guy, the defensive end out of Oregon, and then another offensive tackle. And they basically said, we're going to have a structure in place for next season to just bring in the young guys tank for a horrible pick as dumb as it sounds and go for a high caliber QB next draft and at the same time I applaud them for not taking I think Willis or a Riddler or a Ritter or any of those guys with their second rounder or third rounder any of those options I think the Giants did really well playing that strategy they knew that this was not a good QB market to reach for one of those guys they would rather build the foundation deal with the QB spot later I definitely agree Personally, I was really scared that the Jets were going to take Thibodeau with their pick before the Giants. Uh, and then the Giants ended up taking him, and I was ecstatic. I think, again, great fit for him. I th- think he has the potential to be like an all-pro caliber player. I think he's got an insane build uh, for that position. And I think, yeah, in terms of development, I think they're going to do a really good job with him. Uh, you know, you've seen historically good you know, defensive line players come out of the New York Giants, you know, Strahan, uh, JPP. So we'll see what happens here. I, I think there's a, there's a good chance that he becomes, you know, Pro Bowl caliber player there. I think it's a great pick for them, and I agree. I think it was the right decision to not go all in on a quarterback this year. I think they knew this wasn't the time. Um, and I think it's in their best interest to really stock up next season to, to get your guy, you know, whether it be Bryce Young or Stroud, whoever the case, whoever it is. I think that's uh, that's the way to go because I I think it's fair enough to say right now that Daniel Jones isn't the answer there. Um, it's been long enough, and yeah, I think you know holding on to their guns this year and waiting for next year when it comes to the quarterback room is is the right decision. So I definitely agree with you. I think they won this one too. Are there any other winners on uh, winners on your end that you want to talk about? Uh, the ones that really stand out, uh, I. Not really. I do have some losers, though, I will say. All right, I'll let you go first with the losers. I mean, I'll actually, I'll start off real quick. I think Tennessee's a big loser. They're the 
kryptonite of a team that I've been talking about for for the framework for both NBA and football for years, which is this middleman team that's like just there and they need like one or two more pieces and instead they're just sold that Tannehill is going to be their guy and not committing to either moving Tannehill and getting a better quarterback or making the roster around him as perfect as you can and just deal with the Tannehill component later. They're basically are they're gonna be this year the team that's gonna go nine and eight or eleven and seven or I guess eleven and six and lose in the first round if they make it. It's just the the scenario that they're gonna face this year. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, we we kind of talked about it earlier. Uh, it's that team that you know at the beginning of the season we all have high hopes for, um, and you know I feel like we all rooted for Tannehill at least in Miami. We wanted him to have you know to, to land in a good spot and. They they just couldn't do it. They couldn't put the pieces together, and they're that team. You're right. That's gonna, you know, get there but not go all the way. And they they have those they have that like those rooms where it's like you just need one or two guys that are really gonna turn things around. Like, like it's always you got to fill one or two spots, and then they'll, they'll be in a good situation. And I think they just couldn't get it done. Oh, uh, let's name the first loser on your end because I know you have a you love to talk about the losers. It brings me great joy to say that my first loser is the New England Patriots. God, I Sheesh. think they have been the worst team this offseason, like, when it comes to making moves. I think it's been so bad that, you know, when, when they traded for Devontae Parker, I think Patriots fans really, really think that that is a massive game changer, which it, I'd say it's an improvement, but I wouldn't say it's a game changer whatsoever. I think they had the most puzzling you know confusing draft class in the league like let's look first round they took cole strange right which a lot of people had as like a date mid middle of day two pick uh and they took him at 29 which is you know confusing they took taekwon thornton in the second round which again like he's a really fast he's got the physical skills but you know translating that to football itself is uh it's gonna take some time but again you know bill develops guys that people don't really know too too much about so we'll see and then um i mean thornton was supposed to go day three and they took him in day two well how about how about the other move though which i think people aren't talking about enough drafting the western kentucky quarterback when you have mac jones in the roster that's why that's another move i don't get like i don't i don't know what you're doing there right like and, and that was in the fourth round pick too right they had they had like it's just confusing me. They had nine picks in total. I think it's nine picks. Correct me if I'm wrong, but their biggest, to me at least, their biggest need was edge rusher and off ball linebacker, and they didn't take either of those uh, in the entire draft with nine picks. It's it's confusing to me. I I don't know what they're doing. I will I won't really question Bill Belichick most of the time, uh, but. I hope that they know what they're doing for the sake of Patriots fans because they don't know what it's like to lose, and I don't want to see it when they do because they're going to be unbearable. But, yeah, I, personally, I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what they've been doing all offseason. They shipped off Jack Mason. They brought in Devontae Parker, who is, you know, he's a good uh, go-up-and-get-it type of guy when it comes to wide receiver, but I don't think that's an answer um, in any sense of the word. So I don't really know what they're doing, but... Well, what was more unbelievable was that they were so quiet in free agency, and now they kind of just the draft happened, and I, I don't think they got better. Like they, they're they're a team that I can easily see them be the worst 
probably most disappointing team maybe this season. Like if they go five and eleven, it's not going to shock me. Or I guess well it five and twelve. Shock. It definitely won't shock me either. I think, I think they really needed to get a, a top tier receiver this year. Uh, not 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 necessarily in draft, but at some point in the offseason, they needed to get a really good receiver. And I think they ultimately settled when it came to them getting Devontae Parker. Uh, because, again, Mac Jones is a guy that a lot of people hyped up after his first year. And I think that that was more to do with Bill Belichick than it was, and, and Josh McDaniel than it was, um, you know, Mac Jones. And now it's interesting because they, they've got this team, right? They've got this young quarterback in Mac Jones, but Josh McDaniels is not there anymore. You know, their offensive mastermind is not there anymore. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they uh, go into this next season because from the looks of it, the Patriots currently don't have a single person on their coaching staff that has ever called a play in the National Football League. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch how this offense operates this season. Any other losers on your end that you want to talk about? Specific losers besides maybe maybe the Washington Commanders because I don't know what the hell they're doing. Like they take a they take the North Carolina QB Sam Howell with their fifth pick when they didn't really need to. I don't like they kind of didn't address the needs. The big one though is that sixteen they took this wide receiver Jahan Dotson from Penn State, but they traded one of their best receivers and got a third and fourth rounder. So instead of having him as their star guy they got a first rounder that they're using a wide receiver and kind of these two middle picks that they didn't really do much with i think that was a little confusing yeah i think they've been a team where there's been such a lack of direction for a really long time i think their ownership hasn't helped them at all the drama that they've gone going on up top i think this whole like the name changes have been a lot i think just like in the media it's been a pr disaster in general for them for the past couple years um and yeah i I just i don't know what i'd give them for this draft i think it just happened you know uh i i i don't know what i'd say um they have guys with potential and that's about it i can't like i i think chase young's got all the talent in the world on their squad and i just don't think that they're I don't think anybody really has the opportunity to shine on that team right now. Um, and they Should we address moves. the Carson once in the room? <laughs> yeah, Carson Wentz. I was about to say that. Like they made moves, they got Carson Wentz, but like, what does that do? You know, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what Carson Wentz on the Commanders looks like. I know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, the only other loser I have on my list is the Vikings because they had the 12th pick and they traded back to 32, and then did blah. Like, I don't know why they didn't just keep the top 12 pick and draft somebody when we were so high on a lot of those guys. Remember, like, this was the draft where you had a guy who got picked 26 and he could have been the top 15 or 10. I don't, why, I don't know why Minnesota traded back. I, there's no logic. They didn't do the A.J. Brown move where you get somebody that's different. They didn't get, like, multiple picks back that were, like, really valuable. They kind of just, like, dropped back maybe for I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, it seems like their returns didn't. You know, it, it, like, it, it, it was okay, but it seemed like it was missing, like, that one-two punch aspect. It was missing the two. Like, it was missing, <laughs> they were missing something. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree. They didn't go the A.J. Brown route. They were kind of just, like, it, it, it always seemed like they were wait, we were waiting for them to do something, and it just never came. Like, so, th- again, that, that's a team that, that 
is in a similar sense of the Titans to me, where it's like they're there, they have they've had a lot of pieces, but they've never been able to, you know, fill that one or two, the first or second gap that's there. One well, on this note, are, is there any other major takeaway you think from this NFL draft that you want to talk about? Because I think for me, underratedly, there wasn't a lot of movement in terms of trades this draft compared to other years. I think part of it is that a lot of moves happen during the offseason, so much that I think the draft was going to be a lot more calm compared to normal years. But there really wasn't a big shakeup in terms of any team moving up, a team trying to trade down. I really don't think there was a market this year for any seismic shifts other than Minnesota dropping from 12 to 32. Right, yeah. I think the, um, the A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown moves are pretty interesting. Um, I think, like, as a whole in the offseason, um, it's made for a really interesting uh 2022-2023 season uh, because it either like you know this this league right now looks like you went into Madden and did a fantasy draft and just every all the big players are shaken up and gone everywhere. I think my biggest takeaway for this draft is just in terms of entertainment value it was interesting because there weren't any to me like there weren't any massive big prospects like there usually are every year when it comes to you know Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow and Tua and Herbert or you know, whoever uh, but it was interesting in the sense that it was so unpredictable. You really didn't know what anybody was going to do. Like for the Burrow draft, for the the you know um, the Lawrence draft, you knew where they were going, right? Like you knew what the first overall pick was. This year, it seemed super unpredictable in the sense that you never you didn't know what any of the top ten picks were going to be. So I thought that was interesting. But um, I think you know, the setup for the 2023 draft is is even more interesting. There were a lot of teams that made some decisions that seemed like they're waiting, right? A lot of teams had holes to fill that decided, no, we'll, we'll pass this year uh, and wait for next year. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to end this pod. Well, Chris, another uh, awesome episode as always, even though, again, the NBA postseason is going on. Always going to talk football with you. Uh, thank you for joining the pod. Thanks for having me.